Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, wrestling fans. And uh, unfortunately, we have a uh, sad piece of business that uh, we need to uh, start with tonight. Um, Once again, we have lost um, more members of the wrestling fraternity. Around the uh, first, around the first part of June, um, just a few days ago, we lost uh, Korean wrestling legend uh, Chon Yu Diok. Um, he was one of the uh, members of the first wrestling wave of uh, Korea, um, along with uh, people such as uh, Kim O Kim Il and uh, Yo Jung Boo. Um, then uh, also earlier this week, um, we lost, uh, actually, in fact, we lost two luchadors, um, one a couple of days ago, and then uh, one just uh, the uh, past day, um, Alejandro Gomez uh, Beren Cox, uh, known as uh, Dragon Chino Dos, um, passed away. Um, he had actually uh, performed here in the States in uh, Bill Watts's uh, UWA, which was uh, the name he gave after he uh, <clears throat> dropped the uh, Mid-South promotion. And then um, Matematico 2 yesterday, um, who was the son of the original Matematico Ruddy Garcia, passed away um, sadly, he was only uh, 50 years old. So that um, that brings the total now of wrestling personnel that we have lost in just the first six months of this year, all the way up to 46. Um, such a sad thing for our business. Um, Sean is uh, not with me this evening. Uh, unfortunately, his uh, mom became ill, and so he is attending uh, to her. So uh, I will be here just by myself. Um, well, at least uh, myself until our uh, 
guests all arrived, and uh, we'll be uh, having uh, quite a few this evening. Um, we're going to have, um, we're scheduled to have um, Barrington Hughes, Montreal, Washington, um, Lennox Norris, uh, Jazz Jones, a.k.a. Acid Jazz, uh, William and Selena Huckabee, and uh, WWE uh, Cruiserweight Classic uh, um, contender Aunt Bennett. The program is entitled Wrestling with Racism. And we are going to be talking about racism, obviously, not just within the general confines of uh, this country. Although, of course, we will discuss that because that is a big thing, as we've uh, obviously been forced to discuss this week. And so, um, with that, uh, we're going to go ahead. We're going to we're going to start a little bit differently. The music we're going to use this evening is uh, not going to be music that you normally hear on this show. Um, I grew up in the 1960s. I'm still a bit of a radical. And I'm uh, using uh, black artists and uh, songs that uh, talk about the times and trials. And so tonight, the revolution will not be televised.
theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a jump in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. And ladies and gentlemen, I think that last line is very true. The revolution will be live. In fact, the revolution is live. Um, all right. Uh, already got uh, our first guest uh, joined us here. Um, uh, we uh, found him through our uh, friend, uh, Carol Castle, who was on last night. And if you did not uh, happen to catch uh, that show, um, go uh, to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And uh, you can listen to it there. But uh, she is the uh, one that I have to give credit for uh, connecting me up with this gentleman. Um, He is a uh, uh, former uh, Cruiserweight uh, Classic uh, competitor and uh, works out uh, on the uh, East Coast scene. And uh, welcome, Anthony Bennett. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. (laughs) No problem. Thank you for having me. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Uh, right now, it's uh, unfortunately just the two of us, so I kind of have to. Uh, I'll go go with go on the, my own at this point. So, um, while while waiting for some of the other guys to arrive, why don't you go ahead, give us a little bit about uh, about your background, uh, you know, what uh, types of other interests uh, you had, and what uh, kind of brought you into the idea of. Uh, as uh, my co-host Katie normally says, getting the bleep feed out of you for money. <laughs> um, it actually, it all started when I was young, you know. Everyone has a story about them watching wrestling, but mine, it all started on the mat. You, I could, uh, I was a collegiate wrestler, amateur wrestler, however you want to put it. You know, been doing that okay. since the age of four. And mm. one night... Back. I'm going to say it was probably November 1998, or I know it was 1998. It was like right around the time Kane and Undertaker slammed the stairs on Vince McMahon's ankle, and that was my first time watching wrestling. And ever since then, Kane and Undertaker have been my favorite two wrestlers. It was like they're, it was the, uh, the one week was the night of destruction. I was watching it, and I was watching, it was dumb coming out every match beating up guys, and it was like, I should have been in bed by that time, but my dad just, he let me stay up the one night, and ever since then, I was a fan, and I told him I wanted to do that, and he told me the only way to get there is by me staying on the wrestling mat, and that's really how I started. Awesome, awesome. All right, I think we got uh, one of our uh, next guests uh, here joining us. Uh, who, have I, who have I got uh, on the line here? Lennox Norris. Hey, Lennox. All right. Glad you glad you got in. Um, got uh, got uh, Anthony uh, Bennett there 
who's uh, also in. So, uh, Anthony, meet Lennox. Lennox, meet Anthony. How you doing, brother? Doing good. Just got in from uh, running an errand. I'm now sitting at home chilling. How you doing, man? Can't complain. Feeling blessed. Feeling blessed. Who? Who? Uh, all right, all right. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, I got I have to look at this even at my age and I'm and I'm in my uh early 60s as a uh learning and listening session tonight because uh you know, obviously I can't I can't understand this because I it's I don't live this. This is this is you guys' reality every day. Oh, it's not mine. I mean, I don't know if either of you happen to uh, um, hear uh, Jimmy Kimmel's monologue from a couple of nights ago where he talked about how he finally realized that, yeah, he's he's got uh, white privilege no matter – he's had white privilege all his life no matter, you know, what he thought his life was really like. And so I'm kind of in that uh, same boat. Um, in fact, uh, once you get a couple more guys, then I, you know, unfortunately, as I was uh, preparing this this evening or this afternoon, uh, a realization hit me about uh, something that uh, I did um, back in the earlier part of my career as a referee, and I've just been looking at it and thinking about it in my God, I'm so ashamed of not even it's not even funny. So um I want you two to kind of start bouncing off each other here as far as you know, the ideas of um you know, wrestling while black or you know whatever whatever else while black that you know can you can you can sit there and think, you know, oh my gosh, I mean you know I mean in the past week Bird watching while black has <laughs> all, has has almost uh, become a capital offense. You know, I mean, seriously, yeah. it's just you know, I mean, I I'm I sit like I say, I sit I sit here as a as a stupid white person and I'm shocked by it. So, and we've got uh, another one of our uh, panelists in. Let me uh, bring him in. Okay. Okay, who have I got on the line here? Hey, hello. Yeah. Yeah, it's Will. Yeah, it's Will. Selena Huckabee. Hey, Will, how are you guys? Oh, we're doing great, man. Hi. Hi, Selena. <laughs> glad you guys. Glad you guys joined us. Um. Uh, Lennox. Anthony, uh, Will and Selena Huckabee, um, we had Will on uh, several months back. Um, I don't know if uh, you heard uh, about uh, Will's story, but um, Will was actually um, verbally assaulted and bullied by a fan during a show. And, Will, I'm going to let you go ahead and you you explain you explain your 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 story and that and Selena, I want you to chime in because you know, when when you posted what you posted, I mean, my God, 
Um, you know, that was uh, just you know that was that was that just really struck. Are we, are we talking about the uh, the incident in Alabama, or are we talking about the one in Ohio? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, there's another oh, there one two. now. Oh my God. Well, all right. Well, I well it was it was after the Alabama incident was when we got you. So talk about oh, the yeah. Alabama incident. And yeah, go ahead and bring the Ohio one. And uh, Lennox and Anthony, um, yo, hey, chime in, ask questions. Uh, yo, this is this is y'all's forum. I'm just kind of. I'm just kind of you know, kind of running around not answering the phone more or less. No problem. Right. I don't I was um I don't know of either incident in Alabama or Ohio actually, so I'm interested in listening to both of these. Well, I mean the the Ohio incident just it was just kinda of funny where um I was at a show and you know, we're we're I was a heel and stuff and there was a fan. It was. This is actually pretty funny because a fan said something really racist, and the referee, like, had the most. If, if looks could have killed that referee, would have like killed that fan. Um, and the referee like literally rolled out the ring and walked up to the fan and was like, "We don't do that here." He's like, "If that's how you want to talk, we have kids and other families here. Like, you can leave, but you won't disrespect this guy like that." And then he rolls back in the ring comes up to me and he's checking my pads and my gear and stuff. He's like, I'm so sorry about that. And I was just dying laughing about the situation because I'd never, I'd never seen a referee be that uh, intimidating to a fan before. Yeah, that, and, was, uh, that, that was historic. And, and then the situation <laughs> in Alabama, you know, it was, um, once again, just being a heel and uh, cutting a promo and saying that the usual stuff that he'll say, you know, the generic uh, cheap heat, calling them, you know, trailer trash and taking their food stamps and, you know, I'm better than they are. And um, a fan got offended that I called them trailer trash. Uh, it, it ended up dropping the N-word. Um, now, before this, during the match, you know, they were giving me some heat and stuff. The fans were. Uh, but this fan just kept using racial slurs and stuff. And I, I ended up being on the outside of the ring close to him and his wife, and they wanted me to, like, I guess they wanted me to pose to take a picture. I'm not sure. But they were just like, hey, we're trying to take a picture. Look at us. And I'm just like, I'm, like, not giving them any kind of response whatsoever. And they're like, hey, you in the red, we know you hear us. Turn around so we can get a picture. And I'm still ignoring them. And then finally he's like, yeah, well, you know what? That's all right, boy. Just stay down on your knees where you where you belong. And so – I knew there were no kids over there by them because a lot of the families had moved to the other side of the ring. So I, like, very discreetly gave them the finger, and that's the picture they decided to fucking take. And then they, they called the promoter <laughs> and was like, you know, and they, they uh, after my promo, I called him trailer trash. The dude got all mad and started calling me the N-word. The promoter was like, hey, you know, you can't use that here. And it was like, oh, well, he can call us trailer trash, but we can't call him, we can't call that N-word the N-word. And so they basically, and this fan was also the referee's dad. And uh, so basically the, the promoter basically banned them from coming. Well, after they left the building, they sent the promoter that picture of me giving them the finger. And without even asking me, like, what was the context behind me giving them the finger, the promoter was like, oh, we can't book you anymore because you're flicking off the fans and giving them the finger and stuff. And it just it just turned into a huge problem. <laughs> Like, I mean, just to touch on that, Will, um, 
I've been to a couple Impact tapings, and my favorite thing, and when Bubba Ray was a heel or when Bully Ray was a heel, he'll turn around, he'll give the crowd the finger, and then turn around a hard cam and do his pose, and that was how like he got the booze and everything. It was like one of those things where if you're not there, you don't understand it. Like we thought, like if you're watching TV, you just see the pose, but when you're live, you see why they're booing him like firsthand, and then it makes sense. So I mean, that's definitely something where he probably should have looked into it and seen that there was something else behind it too. I probably would have knocked the phone out of his hand actually. Talking smack the man and want to take a picture with me. I probably would have uh, or wanted to take my picture. I probably would have smacked the phone out of his hand. Yeah. And like the bad part with that is like it's racism everywhere too. Like it's in wrestling, you hear it like so much. And like even with me, when I got announced to be in the Cruiserweight Classic, like they posted my picture, and WWE put a nice little caption and everything with it. And then you read the comments. And it was, who let this N-word in here? Oh, this N-word is uh, this, this N-word is that. And it's just like, I know WWE, they got too many com- they got too many people commenting on their stuff for them to catch every single comment. But, you know, like, I'm just looking at it. I, and me, because it's a WWE platform, I want to look at all one million comments. So I'm scrolling down, just looking at everyone. And I'm just like, okay, so these guys are saying this, these guys are saying that, oh, look, this is a, somebody who actually wants to support me. So, you know, it's definitely always going to be there, like no matter what platform you're on, no matter where you're at. That's true because the system wow. that, we're, that we've been in and wrestling is a microcosm of how the world operates. So, therefore, that's going to be um, an equation. Racism is going to be there. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, like trust me, I definitely understand to the fullest the extent of racism. And like a very close friend of mine actually had something come up from his past from seven years ago. He posted um, he posted something on Twitter, and he said he called uh, or he used very he used homophobic gestures and racial slurs on Twitter. And again, this is seven years ago. He was twenty. Close friend. Again, this is a very close friend of mine. And this was before he got into wrestling. Someone went back. He had a great opportunity to come up. Someone went back, dug that up, and and now you know the guy opportunities left and right. People don't want to book him because of something that posted when he was just a twenty-year-old kid. Just. Uh, handling somebody, uh, talking back and forth with one of his friends. And that's kind of the world we live in. And I understand, you know, you shouldn't use racial slurs, but, you know, and even with him doing that, that should be enough. Like, that was seven years ago. The guy definitely evolved as a person, and he's a great, like, he's a great person to be around. Definitely helped me out plenty of times to the point where I know he's not racist. But, again, the fact that it's out there, you know, people get the wrong interpretation, so... That's definitely one of the things that we see out there too, like that, like misinterpretations and the uh, mistaken intent behind a lot of things being said. Well, that we're coming from a society where uh, language is actually being um, compromised. So, like, if, you know, yeah. we're to a point where we can't um, decipher. It's harder for us to decipher 
what people are saying when it's written on a when it's typed on a computer or written on paper or even expressed in verbal you know in actual verbalized wording and all that has been done on purpose and even though I I have uh, put the spotlight on racism I was I've been doing this for like the last decade really and seeing what I've seen this week has been surprising where actually there's a larger number of people agreeing with what I've been saying for the last eight years. And <laughs> a lot of the misinterpretation, though, the real point, the, that's the real reason as far as the misinterpretation of things. Some of that is intentional because uh, language is being intentionally manipulated. So that's the reason for that situation particularly. Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing, like, Trust me, I, I, to the fullest, believe everyone is capable of evolving. And that's just like me saying I used to be – I'm not going to say I was a bully in high school, but I definitely had my fair share of delivering insults back and forth to people. And I look back at it, and I was like, wow, I was really a piece of crap back in high school. And, like, 27-year-old me and 27-year-old Anthony Bennett would beat 17-year-old Anthony Bennett up for the stuff he was saying. So, like, trust me, I'm 100% sure everyone is capable of evolving. Well, yeah, you know especially what? us I'm guys gonna, particularly. You know yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. Oh, only one final point. Um, yeah, most of us, as far as dudes particularly, we evolve every, you know, three to five years. So what you like or what you were like three years ago, you're, you'll be a different person three to five mm-hmm. years later. That's my only point. Okay, well, you know what? Now I'm speaking because when you when you mentioned uh, social media, there, um, of course, uh, the big thing this week has been um, the uh, tweet that uh, um, Chad Lale, um, Jackson Riker, posted uh, in support of Donald Trump. Um, you know, shortly shortly after uh, the uh, um, George Floyd murder. And which he got uh, roundly criticized uh, within the locker room. Uh, one of my uh, longtime friends, um, Anthony, is a deal alum, aka Mustafa Ali, and uh, mm-hmm. and you know, and he and he posted yeah, as far as uh, knowing who he can trust now, and that which of course um, being being a Muslim that. Really, that's really got to that's really got to be scary, and that and uh, we lost Anthony. Hopefully, uh, we'll get him back in here real quick. So, uh, um, but then uh, I'll go ahead and continue on with this uh, for uh, for the three of you. Um, then a uh, um, and here he is. He's back again. Um, yeah, I'm back. So, Anthony, we're um, okay. Yeah. So, talk about the whole Chad Lale thing. Uh, Jackson Riker, and then a uh, 2009 Facebook post uh, suddenly resurfaced where um, he talked about uh, how people of color, quote, need to realize how good they have it. Um, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of tension going on uh, backstage in WWE right now, and that um, so. I mean, you know, so obviously because um, 
Well, some of some of the stuff which uh, I'll, um, Anthony, you you have you might not have seen it, uh, but uh, Will, you and Selena and Lex have all seen it. Uh, the stuff that uh, um, Barrington Hughes, who's supposed to be joining us, and I'm uh, hoping he'll get here real quick, um, where he's where he's calling out um, various people uh, in and out of the industry that uh, are. Posted some just some really really evil racist crap online right now, and that, and it's just like you know, it's like it's like you know, where is this you know where is this stuff coming from, and that, uh, so, uh, I mean, so why don't we go ahead? Let's kind of get into maybe a uh, discussion here, and uh, Selena, obviously, I want you to chime in because. You know, as as you said, uh, as you said yourself, this doesn't just affect uh, your husband; it affects you too, as a wife and a mother. When these kind of things happen, so let's kind of so let's go ahead. Let's kind of take it from there and um, let you guys let you guys kind of you know bounce off of that. Well, I, I would like to start that off. I think that we we like to start it off with the whole speed about. I guess if you want to call him Jackson Riker or Gunner, or as I like to call him Chad, because I know him personally, uh, that that tweet was just so ridiculous for him to. I don't care who somebody chooses to support, but I feel like at this point, if if you're so blindly following Trump, then you're a part of the problem. But but I don't personally care. Me and my wife don't personally care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. That's your choice as an American. Uh, but my, I think our biggest issue with the entire tweet was for him to say, hey, black people, you should watch 12 Years a Slave and realize you have it so much better than they did back then. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, and I actually uh, watched 12 yeah. Years a Slave, and um, I saw how that, um, how the story went. From the beginning to end, and that was uh, the way it began was actually fucked up. Excuse my language. It was, you know, a raw deal. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we're still here. Yeah, actually, I saw the beginning of the story. That was in the movie where they uh, drugged the guy, you know, had the guy drunk, and then all of a sudden he's he's not in New York anymore. He's in somewhere like North Carolina or somewhere in the southeast being told he needs to pick cotton. Well, yeah, but, but I think for me it was just including that in the tweet is like, hey, black people, like you should be happy that, you know, you're allowed to speak the way you are. You're allowed to have freedoms because, you know, you could be in a field picking cotton. You know, it could always be worse. You could still be slaves. Be appreciative that, that we don't have – we still don't have you in chains and selling your children or something like that. It's, it, it was just very demeaning, uh, and, and you would think somebody on a platform such as he is, he would know better than to post something like that. 100%. He probably does, but it doesn't matter if you know anything. If you don't care, that kind of supersedes what you know. <laughs> he probably has that type of personality where he didn't he didn't care, at least at that moment that he posted it. He probably didn't really give a damn. 
Well, yeah, I th- and I think that we're well, seeing that with a lot of people on social media, period. I think that we're starting to see not just, you know, WWE stars, but I think we're starting to see, you know, people involved in wrestling, and you're really starting to see people's true colors pop out, especially in the South. I think that a lot of feelings that were that people kept hidden, a lot of things that people talked about behind closed doors, now they feel confident in order to to speak out in a negative way. Yeah, I agree. I think like a lot of this basically is like them putting the nail in the coffin. They were everyone was more or less waiting for something to happen. They were waiting for an opportunity to actually voice how they actually feel, and I think everything going on right now in this country is like, okay, that's my reason. Let me post this because now they're trying to prove me, they're proving me right right there doing this. They're proving me right doing that. But, you know, a lot of people are looking at the wrong thing. They're not looking at the message behind what everyone else is doing. They're just focused on the negative and they're just sticking to what they see and not what they know. Yeah, and actually, some people thrive on that, too, actually. What did you say? Some people actually uh, thrive on negativity, and even if you're displaying facts in a, you know, in a, in kind of an objective way, and in a way as to not to try to chastise them, just saying it out of love, they don't, you know, sometimes that can be negated, and they don't care, they just want to they just want to lash out at people. They just want to um, lash out at them and prove that they're that they're right and you're not. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think they're know, like, like I said. I think that this is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're good, brother. You're good. Good. I'm. I'm. I'm ears. I would say that I think that we're starting to see. Like I said, we're, we're starting to see people's true feelings come out to the point where. There are wrestlers uh, behind closed doors, and, and not not necessarily outright being to say this, or on some cases, as in the case of uh, a wrestling company in Texas. Um, but they're being, basically wrestlers are being told that if you speak out on behalf of Black Lives Matter or anything that has to do with George Floyd, that you won't be booked again. Um, and I think that that's as far as wrestling goes. The wrestling world goes. That has really created a firestorm and has has been the reason why so many more wrestlers are speaking out because now we're being told if you speak out, we're not going to book you. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we're getting, we're getting tired of that. You know, that's, yeah. that's the whole that's the whole reason for all this that has been happening in recent weeks is that black people are getting tired of being subjugated. They're getting tired of being told how to feel. And told that if you if you tell us your pain and tell us how you feel while you're experiencing this pain, or you know they'll say your perceived pain, which is actually very real, then we're not gonna give you this, or we're not gonna book mm-hmm. you anymore. We're not gonna bring you here. We're not gonna bring you there. And black people are getting tired of this, especially you know black people in the wrestling world right now are getting tired of it just like black people around you know here in the United States are getting tired of being told how to feel being told how to express our pain being you know being told how to protest just getting you know being told like we're you know being treated like children even if you're like 50 people are, you know black people are getting tired of this and thankfully people are seeing this seeing the same thing I've been 
that I predicted actually a decade ago. I knew this was going to happen, that, you know, everyone has a threshold. And when you get tired of something, you get tired of being subjugated or bullied in any way, eventually you're you're going to break. Something's got to give, and you're going to want to fight back. You're going to lash out. Something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's where all that emotion is coming from. You know, even if it's whether it's right or wrong, it you know, it's uh this emotion was bound to come out. And if and if this isn't stomped out, if this isn't taken care of, it's gonna keep rearing its ugly head. Like this can go away in a couple of months or even to a year, but it's gonna come mm-hmm. right back just like it has. You know, it keeps and doing you know, this, you know. Good. Yeah, people keep um, like if I call the police officers who um, well, quote unquote officers that would um, kill black people with impunity, I call them race soldiers because there's a difference between being a race soldier posing as a cop and true police work. And people are getting tired of all that. And when you get tired of something, and I know this from life experience, when I had bullies trying to, when there were people trying to bully me when I was in school. After a couple weeks, you know, I had enough, and I'll fight back. And if they beat me, so what? They're going to respect me. But if I win, you know, either way, whether I win or lose, I fought back, and there's respect to be gained from that. And people are getting tired. So when you're tired, you fight back. Um, Well, I can't speak as far as wrestling goes because I'm just a wrestler's wife. But um, I can speak on no, no, just never how. Selena, never say just. The uh, the wife is as important and as big a part of this of this whole structure as as the as the uh, performer husband himself. So <laughs> you're you're just as, you're just as important as these guys are. In fact, maybe even more so because you know. You're the backbone. You're the support. You're the one that uh, keeps them going and going out there to that ring. The mental stability. Yeah, well, I mean, I was just saying as far as, like, in the ring and stuff, like, I can't, you know, speak upon that. But I know, like, the stuff I see on social media and everything. And um, like you were saying, you know, like, we're just getting tired of it. And when you try to belittle our feelings, like that's not cool at all. And if we start speaking on it and you say, Oh, well this and this, and this happened to us. And it's like, we're not trying to say that our, that what we're fighting for is better than what anybody else has had to fight for. But right now in this moment, like this is what we're going through. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Like, they just want to just keep saying that, oh, well, this happened to this person. This happened to that person. If it's that bad, then speak up. Mm-hmm. Speak up about it. Like, don't don't keep quiet. Like, you have to speak up. And these wrestling promotions that are doing that, I mean, it's sad. It's bad enough that wrestlers have to deal with fans that are being racist and saying stuff, but the company that you work for to basically say, like, you can't stand up for your rights, that's not cool. Um, And it's nothing, it's no way, you know, that we should have to live. And we have kids. 
most of the people have, have kids. Like, is that how you want to raise your kids to think that you can't speak up? You have to keep quiet. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just to touch on that, too, like, one of my friends in a big promotion, I, I'm not going to name drop, but he actually just posted a screenshot today because he's he hasn't been active on social media with this whole, with everything going on just because he doesn't want to post his own views and he doesn't, he's not sure of the backlash, but he posted a screenshot of someone actually getting mad at him for him not saying something and him not using his voice as an African-American wrestler and using that platform to speak out. And it was like, you know, one of those things where it's okay not to speak. I'm okay with certain people not speaking out. If you're on that platform, and you never you never know how your bosses are going to react. So, you know, I understand why you shouldn't speak out. Like, that's why I was like, okay, I understand it. But for a fan to get mad at you and message you directly and say, hey, N-word, this is your stuff. Uh, this is your culture. Why aren't you um, saying something? It's like, what was the purpose of that message? You're, part of the, you're being part of the problem that you're trying to get him to uh, stand up against. Like, it was just, like, well, I, I, completely uncalled for. Well, I would say I, I don't think that this is the time for anyone to, to be silent, especially a person of color, especially a black person. Like, this is not the time to say, I'm just not going to say, I'm not going to let my opinion because I don't want to alienate anybody. I think that this situation, this day and age, this is a all-hands-on-deck situation where we need every voice uh-huh. no matter whether you are a, a indie wrestler who's only been in the business for three to four months or whether you are a WWE Hall of Famer whether you're the president or you're like the board member of the Cauliflower Alley Club whether you are a politician it doesn't matter I feel like this is a all hands on deck situation like there is no time for somebody to take a step back and not speak out because at this point Every voice matters. Yeah, and yeah, I, you know, true. I definitely do agree with that. And let me yeah, and let me be frank. Let me be clear. I say this is not just is not just black voices. It's everybody. If if you are white and you support the Black Lives Matter movement, or you're Hispanic or Asian or whatever the case may be, like this is their all hands on deck. We're seeing on the news that they're holding protests for George Floyd and for Black Lives Matter all around Europe, in Africa, in Australia, in South America. Uh, they, they're, they, there's a country, I can't remember the name of it right now, I can't remember which country it was, but one of the countries in South America has labeled Black Lives Matter as a terrorist organization, and they're arresting people for speaking out, for protesting for Black Lives Matter. So this is not just, this has not just become, or this is not just a problem in America. This is something that has become a worldwide issue. And whether you are black or whatever the case may be, if you believe that Black Lives Matter, this is the point to stand up and speak out. Because if you don't say anything, that's the same as saying it's okay uh, to it's you're basically saying no black lives do not matter. You're speaking out. You're not speaking out against being anti-racist. Mhm. You know, I definitely do agree with with that. And, and, like and, and if you're yeah. not actually expressing yourself, you're not using your voice. That actually makes you um, 
it makes you complicit in your own victimization, your own subjugation, and you don't want to be silent. Mm. If you if you're having if you're being stepped on, if your toe is being stepped on, then you need to you know scream or let someone know. Hey, you stepped on my toes, man. But so being silent when someone's stepping on your toes is going to keep mashing on your toes. Well, this happened wow. for the last yeah. five centuries. For this happening for the last five centuries, you know that that you know that you know there comes a time where enough is enough. Like this is you know we've had movements like this before, and people have tried to stomp them out. Hopefully, this one doesn't suffer that same fate since we have not just black people speaking out against this like they have for decades, but you got you know every ethnicity, every race of people who are actually. And hey, enough is enough. Mhm. And that's one thing I do love about this. Like you know, you see a lot of celebrities supporting this. A lot of celebrities actually out there protesting. A lot of wrestlers I've seen actually out there protesting. And you know, like that just makes me like I'm actually happy to be one of the wrestlers actually supporting this and being out there with everyone. You know, even though like. I haven't posted anything about me being at a protest yet, you know, but we still have like two, three more uh, in my area. But, and I, I will be there, and every single one I've been at, they've all been peaceful protests. You know, we're all going about it the right way. Everyone has the police um, supporting them. We're actually, we have police that actually know there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the system. They're out there marching with us. They're helping us get our point across. So you, every single protest I've been to, every single one had the police with us. We are getting our point across. We're getting our voices heard. They're listening. Every single one. Like there, uh, there's organizers. There's people speaking. There's everything. Like there's full amount of support in this area. And when you look at New Jersey, where I'm from, Camden had one of the most peaceful protests, and that's considered one of the top 10 most dangerous cities in the, in America right now. And for them to have one of the peaceful protests and looking at all the other protests in the world that or in the country that led to riots that actually spoke volume to me. And when we analyzed why, like just one of the main reasons we had police officers, the chief of police actually know something's wrong with the system. He was actually out there with the people. He was front, front and center, leading the charge, holding the banner, marching with the people, letting, he was sitting there listening to them actually talk about their problems, letting everyone say what was wrong, letting everyone tell tell him how they felt, and he listened. And so, you know, like, I feel like that's what we need. We need people in the system that knows there's something wrong. We need them listening, and with celebrities out there, they're listening, they're watching, they're helping us get our point across, they're helping us, helping us with their voices so you know I think that's definitely something that we all need out there too well not only know but actually act on it as well if we look at like if we look at the last couple police shootings and stuff like police shootings of the last 10 years or last 5 years even I don't know if you guys remember there was a police shooting in South Carolina I think it was Charleston South Carolina a couple years ago where a white officer shot a black man in the back and there was another black officer there and they both lied and said that the, 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 the guy had the guy that got killed had a weapon. They didn't realize that it was being recorded the whole time. Well, what happened was that video came out, and the chief of police saw it, 
And as soon as he saw it, he recognized that it was wrong, and they basically killed this guy. There were no riots and no protests in that city because the perpetrators were arrested and convicted. And, and people don't realize that when we say Black Lives Matter or when you say black people are being killed by the police and then you kind of, and then your counterpoint is, oh, well, more white people are killed by cops than blacks. What we're not, or, or people say, well, what about black on black crime? We're not saying that black people don't kill other black people at a higher rate than white people or cops because it's the same as more white people are killed by white by white people than black people. Uh, but what we're saying is when black people are, usually when black people are killed by police officers, it's A, for nonviolent reasons, and then B, for, like in a situation with uh, Philandro Castile and Sandra Bland and even George Floyd, the perpetrators are either not arrested or not convicted. And, and that's what we're saying is that, yes, we understand that cops kill people of all races, but usually when it involves a person of color, when they kill somebody unjustly, there is no justice given for the for, for that crime. Uh, if these people were civilians, if, if these officers were civilians, when he killed this guy with his knee on his neck, uh, he would not have been allowed to go home. He would not have the cops protecting his house. He would have immediately been arrested and, sent, and been sent to jail and been given a bond hearing. If and not, most of the time in capital murder cases, he doesn't get a bond hearing. He doesn't get a bond. Uh, and that's what this is all about, you know. Uh, I, I really get I really get frustrated when I hear people try to make well, you know, what about black on black crime? Nobody says anything about that. And it's like no, there are dozens uh, of organizations in all of these major cities, the small towns and stuff, that combat you know crime and, and stuff stuff like that in in uh, in the black neighborhoods, not just the black neighborhoods, but in the city period. Uh, that's not an issue because we're constantly working to abolish that. You see the bloods and the crips in L.A. come to a truce because of situations like this. What we're asking for uh, for Black Lives Matter and why people are protesting that when something like this happens, we want to see the we want to see the offenders, we want to see them have their day in court. That's actually the real difference too. There's the fundamental difference between. Black on black crime, quote unquote, and um, policemen—I call them race soldiers. Like I said earlier, killing innocent black people. Because if you notice, they're not killing—you know—some of the drug lords, or they're not killing—they're not even killing game bangers. Where they're actually killing black dudes who are who happen to come from work and they might have a tail light out, or you know, they might have a speeding ticket, or you know, they or uh, petty crimes like having a counterfeit. $20 bill, which was actually turned out to be unfounded. They're not killing real criminals. They're killing guys who are either innocent or being charged with petty crimes. Exactly. Has anybody ever noticed that, like, the, the problem is that these officers are always, you know, of course, as, as, a, as a law-abiding citizen, yes, I do believe that police officers serve a purpose. Yes, I believe that every police officer, uh, no police officer for the most part, becomes a cop because he wants to be crooked or he wants to be a dirty cop or whatever. I know that everybody has, everybody wants to go home to their family. But the thing is, is that being a cop is a job. and You've chosen to do that. Um, it's a damn shame that we send 17, 18, 19-year-old children because that's what they are. They're, at the age of 18, 19, 20 years old, you're still a child. 
Um, but we send these children to the Middle East to, to fight terrorists, to Afghanistan and Iraq, and they have to follow the Geneva Code and all these other laws uh, by the letter before they're allowed to fire a single round at, a, at somebody who's trying to kill them. There could be somebody trying to mow them down with a truck full of, uh, uh, of you know, missiles or bombs or IEDs, and they have to go through so many steps before they're allowed to kill that person. While on the other hand, we're looking at these police officers who've been on the force for 10, 15, 20 years, and they're in America. You know, they're at home, and we give them the benefit of the doubt that they can immediately shoot first, ask questions later. Uh-huh. And as long as they get along, as long as they get away with that, they're going to keep doing it. But if there, if there are laws in place, if there are things that are being implemented to discourage that, then that won't become as much of a thing anymore. It can discourage race soldiers, in my opinion. They um, it's discouraged them from targeting and brutalizing and killing innocent black people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, honestly, like my thing too. When you sit and think about it, is if this wasn't recorded, these men would be at home right now watching TV, doing nothing. Like, and it'll just been, oh yeah, this guy resisted arrest. We tried to restrain him, and it data just it had just been that would have been it. These guys would have just been off the hook like that. And that's the same, like, that's what gets to me a lot when you think about it, like, how much racism is going on behind the scenes, how much of it is happening in the world, even in wrestling, how much of it do you, do we see, do we witness, and it's just, it's out there, but it's not being recorded, nobody knows about it, other people are witnessing it, and they're just not speaking up on it, and nobody's saying anything, nobody's putting these people on blast, so, you know, like, that's, definitely one of the things that gets to me and it's one of the things where we got to actually speak up as a unit now if you're even individually if you see it hey man look that's effed up you know that's wrong you know that's this you know you're not supposed to say that and if you think that don't think it around me like don't say anything like that in this in the locker room say that at home or keep your personal views outside of wrestling like you know it's one of the things where if it's not, if it wasn't, if no one's around, nobody would know how these people act. Like, if no one was there filming it, nobody would know what was going on. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that you sit there and I, I think about. And I'm, and I'm actually, Selena, I'm going to go ahead and address this to you. Um, well, I, I mean... Because, you know, not only have you got Will to worry about as a wife, you've got a, you've got a son that is autistic. And, you know, I mean, what, what, ha- what goes through your mind when you have to send them out there by themselves, you know, and, to, you know, and these type of actions – have been happening oh i mean not just this week but obviously i mean for for eons and that how how is a black woman 
a wife and a mother, how what do, what goes through your mind when you have to send them out there? Well, as far as our kids go and stuff, you know, we, we try to – we don't try to share our kids what's going on in the world. Like, our kids are getting older. They're all, like, preteens and teenagers and stuff. So we let them know what's going on in the world. Um as far as our as far as our sons with autism and stuff, our youngest our youngest son wants to be a police officer when he gets older. Uh, he's always going around. He calls himself, you know, Officer Huckabee and stuff. He he plays around like he's going to arrest us and everything. Um, I get more worried about my older son who is nonverbal. He's six foot three, uh, and, and we've seen oh. in the news and stuff there where. For my oldest son, you know, he's nonverbal, so if he gets frustrated, the lights and the sounds will disorient, disorient him, uh, and he might seem like he's resisting or he's being violent, but he's just having a meltdown, and I'm always worried that something is going to happen, uh, whether he's in school, dealing with a resource officer, or whether, you know, he might some kind of way get out of, get out of the house, or, or, you know, he's outside playing, and a police officer drives by, and they don't understand that he has special needs. I'm always worried that somebody's going to do something to my children. So I do my best as a parent to always make sure uh, that if they're at home, that we keep an eye on them. If they're in school, that everybody knows what the situation is. And in our community, uh, a lot of our neighbors know our kids. And so if something happens, they'll be able to speak up for them as well. That's good because there's a... Um... Because there's actually, like, if not, otherwise, they could they could shift the narrative and slant it to where what's been called, like, a guy, he's 6'3", like, the, your son is 6'3", and he's, you know, he's not a small person, not a small kid. And they could use that as, like, almost what's called a super Negro narrative, where, you know, he, where he's, he was overpowering, he was big, and they would describe him as just, like, this big monster. They'd paint him as, as such. And make in order to justify brutalizing and killing them, and that's a, that was that's a smart strategy to let people know the situation. So then, when they try to shift the narrative, people can you know go, no, it, it is nothing like that. He is nothing like this. This is you know this is the real situation. So then they don't shift the narrative, you know, to justify brutalizing your son. So that's the smart move. That yeah. is something that. Um, it is something that really, really, it terrifies me um, every day, and especially like Will was saying with our oldest one, um, even though we know, like, more people know more about autism and stuff, a lot of people don't. Um, and I don't think a lot of these police officers are trained to know the difference or they don't want to see whichever one, but, you know, somebody sees my son, they might think that, oh, he's a threat when he isn't. And that's like Mm -hmm. my biggest fear. If he just happens to get out of the house one day and the cops roll up and they tell him to stop, he's not going to listen. He doesn't know them. If they give him a command to get on the ground, he's not going to understand that. And he does stem, and he jumps up and down, and he flaps his arms. And I don't want them to mistake that for him being violent when it's just he's not understanding. You know, he's in a scary situation. And, like, that's one of my biggest fears is that they'll see that, and they will shoot first and ask questions later. And we've seen that time and time again in this country. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. And as far I, as the policeman, actually, there's a um, 
there was a recent interview I watched with uh, Michael Jai White. He actually was applying to be a police officer, and he passed everything. He passed like he did, went through all the the things you have to go through to be a police officer. But when he took the test, they actually called him, which you don't get this usually, but they actually called him and told him he was too smart. So the IQ tests were purposely they're purposely lowered. And you know, to you know, because they wanna, they actually want the policemen in these departments to be programmable, and that's that's an issue that wow. has to, um, that has to be addressed as well. The low IQ um, tests are actually they, the standards are lowered on purpose, and the sooner that's being addressed, the more um, you know, to them being programmable and not critically thinking. That has to be addressed as well, and the sooner they address that, I think the sooner the problem can be um, can be solved. Mm. Wow, that's that's some power. That's some powerful points. Um, so, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to take a. I'm going to take a quick uh, break here, and that uh, give you guys a chance to maybe uh, get up, stretch a little bit. Uh, um, <laughs> Anthony, you disconnected once, and so you're back in. Lennox, uh, you'll want to go ahead and uh, disconnect and call right back. And um, so we'll take a couple of minutes, and then I'm actually going to go ahead and confess to something that uh, you know, as I as I said right at the beginning, um, when I was when I was putting this uh, together this afternoon, all of a sudden something from my part of my part of my past in my career here in the ring just uh, the realization kind of really hit me and it's like, Oh my God, what did I do? Oh, and that. So um, we'll be, we'll be right back uh, with a little more of uh, wrestling with racism right here on evolution radio network.
All right. A little classic fly in the family stone there. Um, <laughs> so I love, I, yeah, I mean, I, Hey, I, like I say, I'm a, I'm a child of the sixties. So uh, I grew up with a lot of this, a lot of this great stuff and that. Um, so, okay. Uh, well, um, hopefully, uh, Lennox will, uh, get back, get back in here, but, uh, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to, and I'm going to tell this straight out because all of, you know, it's like I said, I'm putting everything together this afternoon and all of a sudden I look uh, at what I'm, at what I'm writing and that, and all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I did a stereotype thing with some black wrestlers back when I was when I was with uh, Windy City Wrestling in uh, in Chicago. Um, now, the now at the time, I'll kind of I'll kind of set this up. Um, we had we had we had several we had several different singles belts. We had a tag we had a tag team title, but then for a while we also had a six man tag team title. So um, so we were so we were doing uh, you know, six man tag matches, and so one of the teams that um, we had on there um, was. A was a team that was made up of three black guys, and so the first time, and you know, I'm I'm try, I'm trying not to I'm trying to hold myself on this because man, when I sit here and I think about it now, it's just like, oh my god, this is so this is so freaking embarrassing. Um, what I, what I did the first time we went and we did uh, TV and that. Um, when they came in the ring, I said, okay, what I want you guys to do is when I say, let me check you, you guys assume the different positions You go up against the corner, spread out, you get on your knees, place your fingers behind your head and you lay down with, you know, spread all out and that. And so I did, you know, the, I did the I did the stereotypical white guy making sure that the making sure that the bad black guys weren't bringing anything illegal into the ring, and I just you know when I when I realized that this afternoon I'm like oh my god I helped foster a stereotype, and I'm just I was just feeling so horrible about this it's like okay i'm just i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to let it out tonight because i mean you know i'm i'm no i'm no better than any other you know white performer or promoter because i did it i played i played the racial stereotype with these guys and I just I I feel terrible as all get out and I just I'm I'm apologizing right now 
for ever having done that, wishing I'd never done that. I mean, my God, it's just, you know, it, it, it's just, it's, it's killing me inside. So well, can, can I say, um, it, it's, you're, you're not the first and, and you won't be the last. And I don't think you can really blame yourself because you didn't know. And, and now that you realize how wrong that was, I'm pretty sure that if you were in that position, you would never do that again. Uh, but, but you also can't put just the blame on yourselves because those wrestlers had a choice whether or not they wanted to do that as well. Um, would I myself personally do something like that right now? Definitely not. Uh, not saying that I haven't done that in the past, but because I have. But I, but at the time I did, okay. I was young, I was green, and and I was just trying to not cause any ruffling feathers in the business. So I, I wouldn't. While it's okay to feel bad about it, I wouldn't beat myself up too bad because you don't know until somebody tells you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's pretty much it. It actually goes to my point. Oh, sorry. Well, it goes to my point of um, we're all actually complicit in it because of how we've been influenced to think about black people, and that's even ourselves as well. We've been influenced to think of ourselves as less than just as well as everybody else. Even around the world, we've been influenced to think that we're, you know, you know, consider our inferiority and take it in. And it starts when you're yay high, where you're being um, influenced to think that you're, you know, of an inferior brand or an inferior being to someone outside of yourself. And for whites, they've been influenced as well to being on the opposite end, being superior, the superior being compared to, you know, black people around the world even. So that's not so much a fault as an influence that you um, have to shake off, that all of us actually collectively have to shake off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, like like you guys are saying, you know, it's one of the things where you guys, you don't know until you realize it later on. Like, <clears throat> I did a show while in Tennessee. This guy had no idea, like, the, the, the guy was, he was a green wrestler, you know, probably six, seven months in the business and he's walking around with a title that has a Confederate flag on it on it. And it's a black guy, you know. Me and oh, the two wow. guys I traveled with Yeah. And it, me and the two guys I traveled with, we just, like I don't know if he if it was just a young guy happy to have a title when he didn't know or he just didn't know like it was on there or he didn't know the meaning behind it. And, you know, I, I definitely believe there's people out there who don't know the meaning behind certain things. So, you know, I couldn't hold anything against him for it. But, you know, pull, me and the two wrestlers I traveled with, another one um, Hispanic, another white guy. And we pulled the guy aside mm-hmm. and was just, hey, look, you know, I know you're happy to have a title. We know you're carrying this with pride. But, look, you, your title has the Confederate flag on a uh, little side plate. You know, you might want to talk to the uh, talk to the, whatever promoter gave it to you and let them know like you, that that's not right. And he's just like, oh well, what's wrong with it? And once he said that, you know, it's just okay. This guy doesn't. He clearly doesn't know what the Confederate flag means to African Americans. 
So, like, you mm-hmm. know, it was definitely, like, one of those things where the, I don't, the, the promoter probably, like, it's just probably the promoter's heritage, and that's how he grew up. There's, again, no racial intent behind it, considering, you know, you put the a championship title on an African-American. But, you know, the fact that the kid didn't know what it meant, like, it definitely, like, spoke volume to me. It was just like, you know, we know what it means, me being from New Jersey, me definitely knowing my history, knowing history of uh, African-Americans and everything, and knowing what that flag means to mm-hmm. my people and the oppression and everything. So, you yeah. know, like, it was definitely one of those moments where, okay, this kid doesn't know what this means. He doesn't know. So, you know, let me go ahead and tell him that uh, you got the one guy that I travel with. Uh, he wrestles as Angry Dad. He's a teacher, actually, too. He, um, he, off with him, he actually uh, broke, me and him actually broke it down to the guy and, like, you know, helped him understand, like, hey, look, this is why, you know, even if you do, like, it's not right, even if you do got to forfeit the belt until, you know, the promoter does, uh, gets it changed or anything like that and you know it was definitely like like I said the the kid didn't have a hokey character where he was like a, a slave or anything like where he was anything like he just he was a regular he, a good character wrestler or a boxer it was his, his gimmick was a boxer but you know it's just like hey look your character your title had this on it I don't think that's a good representation of a title and on top of that, you being an African American carrying carrying a belt with that flag on there, you know, it, it doesn't look right. It sends the wrong message. And you, you know, it, we helped him. Like I could say we helped him understand, but then again, once we that was just that was our one time at that promotion. So I can't say whether or not the guy went to go talk to to the promoter, got the belt changed, or anything like that. So. Yeah, that's up to him, actually. That that will have been up to him. You did your part. Um, if he, that you know, whatever he decided to do about that from there was his decision. I actually have an opposite story. Um, last year, I actually, um, I had a belt that was called the Southern Championship, and it had the Confederate flag on it. And the promoter thinks the opposite, you know, of uh, a lot of these other promoters. He actually design an angle for me to win the belt and to keep throwing it in the trash can. So he actually had me win the title to actually disrespect the championship. So okay. That was that was one of the mm. funnest angles I ever had. Well I know wow. for, for me, see, for me speaking about the Confederate flag, like I don't I don't know about you guys or whatever, but like when somebody sends me a a uh, friend request on Facebook or somebody follows me on Twitter or Instagram, uh, I'm making my business to go through their social media history, especially like their pictures or whatever. And uh, if I see anything that has to do with the Confederate, if I see somebody, like, especially a wrestler, somebody involved in the business and they're taking a promo pic and it has the Confederate flag like in the background or they're holding a Confederate flag or there's some kind of Confederate flag on the gear, like I automatically, you know, unfriend these people and I block them. And then when I see them at shows, they're like, Hey, I sent you a friend request. Uh, you didn't accept it, or hey, man, you blocked me on social media, or you, you know, you blocked me on Twitter. What's up? And I explained to them why. Like, here's why. Um, it might not be offensive to you, and to you, it might be this whole heritage not hate thing, but to me, it's offensive, and that's something that I choose not to associate with. 
Uh-huh. So and I feel like in my own little way, I'm kind of making people in my area aware of what uh, of what they put out there in social media. Uh-huh. And just to touch on that, like going back to the pictures, you know, it's a guy out here who not uh, a little while ago when he was just breaking into the business posted a picture with a group of friends. He did nothing wrong. He just posed, uh, posed and fle- uh, flexing his arms in the picture. But then when you look at his two friends in the background, one of them is doing the Hell Hitler salute. The other one has his finger imitating the Hitler mustache. And I was just like, I messaged him privately, hey, man, look, I know you, you have good intentions. Nothing's wrong with you in the picture, but take the picture down, and this is why. And he says straight up, oh, snap, I didn't even notice the background. I didn't look at them, didn't know they were there. Uh, he's like, I posted it because I was with friends that I haven't hung out with in a long time, and I didn't uh, know. I just met these guys that day, and he's like, he was very apologetic. He took the post down right away, and he was like, uh, and I just told him because it's like, you know, with a guy out here, Schlack, who actually had some stuff come up about him being a quote unquote Nazi and or being a Nazi supporter, and it's like, he's one of the nicest guys I know. Like he definitely has no racial uh, bone in his body, but, you know, people look up pictures and see that something, you're tagged in something or someone posts a picture with you doing something, and bam, you're affiliated with it. So, you know, me seeing that back then and witnessing it, how that guy had the backlash, I just saw it, and I was like, hey, look, take this back. And the guy, he understood. So, you know, it's all about, like, see, like, just being aware of pictures and everything too, like looking at the background too. Mm, exactly, and I, and I think getting back to getting back to the original subject, which was like gimmicks and stuff in wrestling. It's like I think that um, yeah. you know wrestling is, is is a reflection of society. Society has become so advanced now uh, that used to be you know fourteen and a half years ago when I first broke into the business. If first of all, especially in, in Eastern North Carolina where I broke in at. Uh, there was, you know, they would have two. There was two black wrestlers on the card. Either they were working each other uh, because one was a face and one was a heel, or they were a tag team, and that's it. Um, and either, as far as gimmicks go, either you were like the really thuggish Tupac gangster character, or you were like the Carlton Banks current white character, who was like super smart black guy. There was no in between. Uh, but I think that society has advanced so much, and wrestling has by default. That black uh-huh. wrestlers, we don't have to use the cheesy old school gimmicks that we've seen for decades. Like guys can have so many different gimmicks, uh, so many different looks that there's there's not a right or wrong way to 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 have a gimmick as a black wrestler, whether male or female. Now, yeah, you know, just to yeah, that too. Like, uh, go ahead, you're good. Well, I'm gonna say because that's because. I mean, of course, uh, in the era that I grew up in, um, we had guys like uh, Sailor Art Thomas, Bobo Brazil, and so when it came when it came to the black wrestler, it was always you know the uh, Samson like strength, and almost always the rock hard head where they could headbutt the white wrestler, and the white wrestler would go down like they'd been like they'd been hit over the head with a beer bottle or shot or something like that. You know, I mean, those, 
those were, you know, and then, and of course, then you have the Kamala's and I've worked with Kamala, um, you know, great, great guy, decent guy, love, love him to death. I feel sorry for him for everything that, you know, has happened in his life over the last few years and that, um, and, you know, and he, and he wound up, you know, I mean, he, he played a, uh, African character that supposedly couldn't speak English, couldn't understand the rules and stuff like that, you know, and, and it's just like, it's just like, you know, how, how did, you know, we get away with this for so long in the business, you know? We've been influenced to think that way for so long. So that's, that's how up to this point you've been able to get away with that because of how our collective thinking has been directed. It's been directed towards those types of um, lines of thinking of stereotypical characters, ethnic characters, especially for uh, black wrestlers being either African warriors that couldn't speak English or you had to shuck and jive or you had to, you know, be a gangster or, or you had to be like Carlton Banks. You had to be a blurred or a black nerd and stuff. That was that line of thinking that's been done collectively because we've looked at ourselves Everyone has looked at us through the eyes of a uh, white supremacist society. And when you're being influenced, you're not totally at fault. You're only maybe a certain percentage at fault at best because you're being influenced. And if people look at who's influencing all this general population, I think this problem can be solved. But you have to look at who is really influencing all this. Who are the puppet masters? Who's who's bringing all this oh, light? Who's Who's perpetrating all this? Who's really perpetrating all this? Exactly, exactly. It's like, uh, and like I said, uh, I'm not so, you know, I work in the Northeast and the Midwest occasionally and stuff, but I know definitely in the Southeast, it's, you still have a lot of old school, uh, older, a lot of the bookers are, are uh, older white men who came into the territories or they have that old school territory mm-hmm. mentality. And, and it's very hard to break that mold, especially when where they are involved at, um, but you do have, but, but the good thing about these young kids nowadays is that these younger kids are not afraid to say, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, whereas before, like I said, when I first broke into business 15 years ago, the whole, the whole adage was, you know, uh, the promoter or the booker gave you your gimmick and that's what you ran with until you had enough, you know, enough windshield time that you can create your own gimmick. Nowadays, these young kids are like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. And that's so refreshing to see because they see themselves as more than just the nerdy black kid or the the gangster criminal thug to a point where when I see somebody doing the gangster criminal thug, I'm shocked and I'm almost appalled. Like, there are so many other things that you could have done with your gimmick. Why do you want to be a gangster? Why do you want to be a thug? And there's so many different other options now that wasn't afforded to us 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And, you know, just to touch on that, like, I trained at CZW for quite some time, and you, DJ High definitely told me one thing, and it stuck out to me. And everyone knows me, knows my personality. I'm definitely, like, a happy-go-lucky, I'm goofy, over-the-top kind of person, and... All I did was portray my did took my wrestling character and amped it up by ten, and that's how I got my gimmick. And DJ High pulled me aside and was like, 
okay, well, that's already done. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, how many times have you seen a dancing black guy on TV? How many times have you seen a hokey black guy out there on TV just doing the same thing? And when he said, like, when he said it instantly, uh, my favorite wrestler to this day is R-Truth. And once he said it, I was like, oh, snap. Then I was like, okay, well, what about, you know, and I definitely did say, okay, well, what if I do, like, the little, the whole thug thing? He's like, how many times have you seen that? Then right after that, okay, Crime Time did that. And rest in peace, Shad. But, you know, I was like, yeah. okay, you know, these is it's like everything where it comes to actually being me and he's like yeah I know how you are as a person but now you know how you are as a person is how all these guys are on TV and he's like you know some of them aren't really like that and that's unfortunate for you because that's how you really are so you know sometimes it's us being ourselves and like for me everyone knows how goofy I am so like you know for me to be myself in the ring you see it when I'm out there, but then when I have to turn that switch off and become a new character, and, you know, everyone has their uh, mental blocks, and mine was definitely trying to find that new character that wasn't that, oh, you seen this uh, stereotypical guy on TV, you seen this, oh, we know how this story ends, we know what happens with these stereotypes, and this guy and that guy, oh, it's another little flippy black guy, oh, it's another this, it's another dancing black guy so you know like it's definitely out there where you know he once he point once dj high pointed that out it's like one of those where you, moments where you sit there and you realize okay how can i be different from everyone else and you know mm-hmm. that's definitely one of the to the, like i'll definitely say he's one of uh, he's a great teacher for that because had i not sat there and had that talk with him i would have just kept doing the same thing and wouldn't have knew the upgrade my character, evolve myself as a wrestler, like, as my wrestling character. You know, I'd have still been doing the same stuff that you see on TV, the stuff that New Day was out there doing, basically, more or less. <laughs> so, you know, like, me having that talk, I was like, okay, so it's literally the same thing. He's like, and when you break it down, it's like, how often do you see a black guy out there dancing? He's like, they have one every year. Or yeah, he's like they have one every year. WWE has a black guy to come out dancing every year, and it's when you do the rundown, you have or he's like, uh, my bad, he didn't say black guy, he said a minority, because he pointed out no way Jose also. So you know he's like, uh, it's always a minority that comes out dancing. It's just a matter of what race he is, and they're always going to have one, and it's always just a little, it's always going to be a gimmicky little clap clap. Um, thing just to get people going so you know you got to do something different and yeah, you know, I mean, that I was, uh, definitely helps I didn't get any traction until I started imitating Farrakhan <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I, when yeah, I was imitating Farrakhan you, like, I got over in Jeffersonville <laughs> yeah like like I say like that just goes to show you like how even being yourself sometimes it automatically gives you gives like Gives off that stereotype when it comes to wrestling. Like even well, I, I, got a, I got a question for Lennox. Yeah. Um, I got because because I, I know like Lennox has been in the business longer than I have and stuff. Uh, but I made a post and a tweet earlier this week uh, about this situation and stuff. And I I referenced uh, Darius Lockhart. I'm pretty sure uh, everybody up here is very familiar with him. 
And I've known mm-hmm. Darius since he first broke into the business. And uh, when he mm-hmm. came up to me and he told me and Joe Black, we were like one of two of the first people that he said, he told us that he was going to do that gimmick. He was like, I'm going to do this revolutionary gimmick. And our immediate, my, my immediate response was, no, do not do that. Like, you, the first, like, you, you come out there as, like, a black revolutionary, almost like, you know, uh, a black panther or whatever. Like, these promoters, especially these white promoters, are going to see you, and they're not going to give you a chance. And these fans are not going to relate to you. And you're not, like, and you're a great young talent, and they're not going to give you a fair shake. My question to you, to, to you guys, is have you ever been in that position where you see uh, a young wrestler want to do something so out of out of the ordinary, out of the box, that even though it seems like a bright, it seems like a good idea, you you saw yourself or you you seen yourself discouraging them from from taking that step because even though it might, even though it's good and it's a great idea, you didn't want to see them get an unfair shake. Well, actually, I've been tempted to, but I ultimately um, left it up to them. I would advise them. You know, if I, I didn't think it was a good idea, I would express that, but I would say it's up to you. I don't want to tell you what to do with your life or career, but um, I would give them the reasons like what you did. I would say I don't think it's a good idea because this might happen. These might be the consequences. I don't know if they're ready for that. And I ultimately tell them, but it's up to you. If you want to try it. You know, I'll, um, I'll vouch for you if you need if you need me to. I'll you know I'll say, hey, he wanted to try this, but I would relay you know that this it wouldn't be a good idea. But it's up to you. I will leave it up to them ultimately because you can give them all the advice. You can give kids all the advice in the world, but sometimes they have to they have to hit themselves on the head and they have to fall, and they have to make their own mistakes. And even no matter how much you'd want to tell them no you shouldn't do this they might sometimes they might want to do it anyway just to see just to prove you wrong so um I, so when i i would approach them that way to tell them you know i'm advising you this but it's up to you and you know well, like there's a very good so yeah i mean it turned out it was a, it was the right decision for him actually <laughs> Yeah, like, just to touch on that, too, like, it also goes with we're all adults. We all have actual bills to pay for. So, you know, a lot of the younger guys, some of them are still at home with their mom and dad still. So, you know, for us, we can't really put ourselves in harm's way because we all got – we're not paying the bills for wrestling right now. And it sucks because some of these guys – don't really have to worry about paying bills. They can throw caution to the wind. They can do all the dangerous spots and not worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and not worry about how they're going to feel tomorrow. And so, you know, what I ask them, the first thing I ask them is, uh, are you insured? <laughs> I ask them, if you're insured, go ahead. But if you're not, you might want to think about it. Well, I mean, my question is, because like like I said, when I was talking to Darius about, his, about the gimmick, when he first started doing the revolutionary gimmick, it was like, I felt wrong for discouraging another black wrestler from doing something uh, that was so different and so edgy and stuff that I felt like uh, that I was ashamed of myself for discouraging him for doing it, even though I felt like I was discouraging him and talking against it for the right reasons. Well, in that case, you shouldn't mm. feel bad. You were, you felt like you were in the right. So, you know, just 
you you were I guess if he proved you wrong, that's just what it is. But yeah, I, that's how I approach. I think it might be if you approached him a certain way, that would encourage him to want to keep on, you know, to want to move forward with his decision. But approaching it like I usually have, which is the same way I approach uh, that type of advice of my own son, actually, who's now turned 18. I um, I just advise him, I don't think this is a good idea, but if you want to try it, you can, but this is what may happen. These are the possible consequences, but it's up to you. And, you know, just to touch on mm. what you said about uh, the whole revolution gimmick, for me personally, I would love, I would so much rather for someone to prove me wrong rather than me having to be the one to say I told you so. Like, And that's just me because I hate to be the one to say I told you so because I never want to see anyone, like, get get beside themselves or anyone fail at something they're trying to do. But I like offering that just so that way, you know, you can also see an alternative or also know that there's a bad side to things. So, you know, just I get where you're coming from, too. And with him taking, like, with it being a good thing or a bad thing, it's like, you know, I would much rather you prove me wrong than uh, rather me say I told you so. Sometimes you you'd want to be proven wrong, and you'd be disappointed when you were proven right. Sometimes that mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah, that's how I always am. Like I hate saying I told you so. Like especially in wrestling because I'm one of the ones where I want us all to succeed. I want us to get there. I want us to make a living doing this. No matter what our goals is in wrestling, I'd rather see us as a unit make it somewhere in life. Mm. Great point. Great point. So now, um let's let's talk let's talk uh, about uh um booking situation because oh and 'cause you're 'cause we were talking earlier about yeah, you know, sometimes they'd have you know, it'd be two black guys and they'd either face off against each other or they'd be a tag team. Um you know, let's talk. Let's talk about just even the difficulties in being booked as a, as a black wrestler because a lot of times um, I've I've heard this I've heard this with the with the female with the female wrestlers. In fact, uh, we actually had a promoter one time, and uh, um, and well, you know you know Katie, our uh, our female co-host. I mean, she she about ripped his head off and and tore him a new rectum all at the same time on the air and we had to kind of keep her cool because um, he said that uh, women were a gimmick and he only used them like once every few months and that. Um, but, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about the idea that uh, I'll call up and promoter says, well, we've already, we've already got our, we've already got, got a black guy. So we really don't need you. Because we've already got we've already got one of you. Thankfully, I have good. not experienced that yet. They used God. to be in the older days, actually. Yeah. They used, they used to be in the older days, actually, in the older territories. I remember Rip Rogers was telling us that in uh, OVW class once, where um, it used to be they'd have one or two black guys per territory. 
And if it's more than that, then they usually uh, they wouldn't want to use them because they only would limit it to one or two per territory. Well, that's that's funny because, like I said, I broke into business almost 15 years ago. And I think being from the South is definitely a different world from being from the Northeast or the Midwest. It's like, because 15 years ago, I had promoters saying, hey, we, we, we've got two black guys. Um what are we going to do with another one? And for me, being a greenhorn, especially a black guy, there'll be, you know, two other older veteran black wrestlers on the card. And instead of nowadays where, you know, we as the vets are looking at younger black wrestlers, trying to help them and giving them advice and, you know, saying, hey, here's my number. If you need any help getting booked or whatever, let me know. Back then when I first broke in, the, the older black wrestlers wanted nothing to do with me uh, just because of the fact that it was like, if I came in, that means one of them probably wasn't going to get booked again, especially if I was young and athletic and good-looking and got over with the female fans. It was, you know, we're not bringing him back in. Um, nowadays, I think, especially, like, living here in Georgia, I'm very lucky uh, because, you know, you go to a lot of cars in, in Georgia and North Carolina and stuff, uh, it's just full of, of young uh, black talent stuff, male and female, to where it's not even – unless you're going to the shit shows, or as Corn, Jim Cornette like, likes to call them, the outlaw mud shows. Um, mm. Unless you're going to one of these shit shows, the outlaw mud shows, you know, you'll see half the card, if not, you know, 80% of the card will be black wrestlers. Um and that's never really a thing anymore here in the South for the top promotions. They're, they're just looking at talent and they're not looking at whether you're black or white or whatever the case may be, but you still have some places, you know, Alabama, some places in North Carolina, you know, Northern and Southern Georgia, where they look at, okay, we've got two black guys, but we got three black guys and we can't really have that many more uh, because then we're going to turn away our fan base. <coughs> Mm. Wow. Yeah, I think down in wow. Georgia, isn't it? Um, isn't it a lot of? Uh, isn't it a huge black fan base down there in Georgia, where you're at? Well, in the Atlanta area, yeah. If you're in the Atlanta area, it's a huge black fan base. But when you get to northern Georgia, which is right there on the border of like Tennessee and North Carolina, or southern Georgia. Uh, down by the coast of Florida and stuff, you know, it's it's still kind of hillbillish, um, for lack of a better phrase. I don't mean to offend anybody, but it is it's a different world than it is around the Atlanta area. Oh, okay. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I sit, I sit, and I think. Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the uh, show that was. Uh, um, supposed to be uh, happening WrestleMania week in Tampa. That uh, um, the uh, for the culture show that uh, Game Changer was helping to put together, which was uh, going to be a hundred percent black talent on it. Um, I mean, they were they were taking the two black members of the Rascals. Um, I think uh, Sugar Dunkerton was. Uh, was booked on that show. Um, I mean, they, you know, it's it's like it's like you know, I it's like an entire event that would have really, I think, been probably one of the best showcases for black talent. Unfortunately, got 
knocked down by uh, by COVID nineteen. Damn COVID! It's like, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like it's like, you know, I mean, could you could you? It's like, I mean, it's like, man, I could have imagined sitting as a fan in this, you know, in this building and watching and watching this particular card and just looking at this talent going. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I mean, because uh, I mean, I I worked because I I worked one uh, one of the first um, black oriented promotions in the uh, well, I guess you could call it the Chicagoland area it was Northwest Indiana, and that, and then I've also I've also worked uh, worked Lucha, so it's like you know, it's like you know I that down but like i say i can't i can't understand i can't completely understand this at all i never will because i mean you know i'm not the guy that has to sit there and you know worry that if by chance oh i've got i've got i got handed a 20 that wasn't good and i go and i go and i take it to the store and i use it I'm not going to have to worry about some about some cop, you know, putting his 250 pounds body weight on my neck for eight and a half minutes, and that. But you know, whereas this is this is a reality that you guys live with every day, and that. And I just, I mean. I, I I just I, it just it it floors me to it floors me to to think about it. I mean, I sat there and I I watched that I watched that video on TMZ and that um I don't know I don't know if any of you guys were aware of this, but um last night in Alabama at uh one and uh one of the uh uh bridges there was a there was a cross burning. And that. Oh, I know that. I'm aware of. Yeah. They're uh, bringing that back wow. again, huh? Seems like it. Seems like it. Oh, well. So I don't think, like I said, I think that uh, that that everybody else has. I think myself being in the South, I have a different. I, I get to have a different perspective of the wrestling business. Uh, than Linux in the in the Midwest, and then being in the Northeast and stuff. Um, because I've been in situations where I've, you know, being in the southeast, if you're running the towns, a lot of times you're going to these really small uh, BFE in the middle of nowhere towns and stuff where you're wrestling at, like, the local armory or the local gymnasium or the VFW, whatever the case may be, uh, and where the right. population, you know, the population of black people in the city just doubled because there were two black wrestlers on the card. Uh, I, I've been in a situation where I've had to wrestle, and then after the show, and we all know after the show, you want to go to Waffle House or you want to go to IHOP or someplace, or if you have to make, like, a long drive, you know, you just want to get to, like, a, a gas station, get some gas station food, and then hit the road. Uh, and, and I've been in a situation where I've done a show, seen the officers at the show, uh, had them cheer mm-hmm. me or boo me or ask me for a picture, and then ten minutes down the road after the show ends, I go to a gas station and we get pulled over. You know, uh, I remember I called my wife one time and I was so pissed. Uh, she hadn't heard from me for a while and she was like, "What happened?" And I was like, "We've been stuck on the road for two hours, 
because after the show, we got pulled over, and the cops asked us, what were we doing? And we're like, we're professional wrestlers. This guy just saw us at the building, and he's like, I don't remember seeing you guys. And we're like, no, you were there. We took a picture together. Um, and being on the side of the road, they're having them dig all of our stuff out of the trunk. And I don't know about you guys, but there's oh, nothing no. worse than seeing the, your gear that you paid hundreds of dollars for and your boots that you paid two, 300 bucks for thrown out of your bag onto the side of the road on the gravel getting all dirty and scratched and scuffed up. Wow. wow. Yeah, you guys got targeted. You were profiled. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, but that's what happens when you're wrestling wow. in the Southeast. That's why I said, I think we have a different perspective. That's why, like, when I go up north and I wrestle uh, in Jersey and stuff for, for Lawrence Zirconium, or if I go to Texas and I wrestle, or if I go to Indiana or Kansas City and wrestle for Flex in, in Kansas City or whatever the case may be, I look at the I look at the other black wrestlers. I'm like, you guys have it so easy here because you don't have to deal with this BS that we have to deal with in the South. In certain places, you have maybe a small taste for that. You would not have as much like that. You wouldn't have it to that extreme. You would have a small taste, like if you went to West Virginia. I went to um, I went to I think it was a Hardee's after after one of our shows in West Virginia. And I was one of the only black guys amongst the group of wrestlers I was with sitting at the table eating. I, come, I go out because we're about to leave, and I had to I had to come back in before we left. And while I was out in the car, one of the guys was like, a, or one of the, um, I guess it was a, a fellow patron or one of the restaurant employees um, referred to me as N-word. And I didn't know about this until mm-hmm. so I went back into the restaurant and someone um, relayed the information to me. Because I saw the faces, I saw the energy change when I came back and was wondering what was wrong. I didn't have to ask because they told me immediately. And we need more people like the, like those telling us this information as well, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, definitely. I, wow. I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, we need more people oh. like that too. Yeah, I was gonna say it, it warms my heart, and I, I get very happy when I see uh, white white people who are involved in professional wrestling, or white people who just happen to be my friends on social media speak out. And then when other white people who whose immediate reaction to Black Lives Matter, the first thing they say is All Lives Matter. It makes me feel good when I see other white people check check white people and say no. That might be true, but we're not talking about all lives right now. Right now, we're talking about black people. If you don't want to talk about black people, then don't get on this status. Uh, I love seeing that because I think, as, as history has shown us, uh, nothing will change until the until white people speak out. Women's suffrage, nothing really happened until white until white men start speaking up for women's rights. The civil rights movement in the 60s, nothing happened until white men uh, started speaking out on behalf of, of black people. With the L- LGBTQ uh, situation going on right now and their struggle uh, to get equality all, around the board, nothing has really changed until white people started speaking out. So unfortunately, the way, the way the American society is, is situated, the way it's made is that you won't get changes until white people call out other white people, which is why I tell my white friends, if you don't agree 
with All Lives Matter or if you support Black Lives Matter, you have to speak out because we as black people can say it to our to turn red in the face. But nobody's gonna listen until you say something. And that mm. makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I at least I've wised up enough, you know, to say, you know, when I when I see somebody that puts all lives matter, it's like no, until Black Lives Matter, oh, no lives matter because Absolutely. it's not all lives matter yet. Now, um, I mean, up here in the Chicago area, it's it's amazing. One of one of the greatest. I mean, and we've got and we got Jesse Jackson. Okay, we got Jesse <laughs> Jackson, but probably one. But and and I've and I've I've been in an operation push meeting that man is such a compelling speaker and that um i i said i i well i didn't completely sit during the memorial yesterday uh, i mean when uh, when reverend al started going um i i got i got a little i got a little uh, old school pentecostal i was standing up and i was pointing and i'm going i'm going you speak it you speak it reverend al and that, um, and then, um, but, uh, you know, um, like I say, I mean, yeah, we've got, we've got, we've got Jesse, but we also have Father Michael Flager, and, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him or not, if you're not, get familiar with him, um, he is the, uh, priest over at, uh, St. Sabina Parish on the south side of Chicago, I'm not even Catholic, and I, I I would I would go to mass to hear this guy speak because he is he is that much of a supporter in the you know of the of the black community and that and like you're like you're saying until we white people you know start really getting loud about this you know then. It's gonna, it's gonna fade, it's gonna fade out, and I'm hoping that, you know, I mean, you know, I, it, it hurts that, you know, George Floyd was, was killed, and that, but maybe this time, this is the point where the revolution finally turns. Now I'm and I'm think, you know and it's like I'm, and I'm very political. I'm a precinct captain and everything like that. It's like you know <clears throat> this is probably and especially for black people um, the most important election of your lives because you know if if this, if if Donald Trump stays in for another four years. God help this country because it's it's gonna it's going to erupt in such a civil war that I don't I don't think I don't think we'll ever recover from it. The concern I have with um with that is um actually the first time the the system actually voted in Trump he actually lost the popular vote I think um, right for me personally yeah I'm by gonna, three million yeah I would actually. Prefer to vote independent because I don't like the two-party system personally. But we have to find 
you would have to find a, um, a suitable independent candidate that can hopefully, um, you know, be as, you know, be as um, suitable as, uh, you know, Biden, you know, you know, Biden, he's had his share of, uh, he's had his nefarious past when it comes to black people as well. So it's, it's a hard choice yeah. when you look at it that way. So if you don't see those two choices, if you're looking for an alternate, uh, if you're looking for an alternative choice, and if Biden isn't the one, then hopefully if enough people can vote for vote independently and find a suitable candidate there, that would be nice too. But, you know, for me, I, I hate having to vote for the lesser of two evils. I hate having to settle mm-hmm. for that. Because and that's that, exactly neither one, what it is. Yeah. Neither one well, has traditionally done anything for black people particularly, and neither have they done anything for poor people, you know, collectively. So that's that's actually the yeah. that's the dilemma that yeah. we're gonna have to look at. Yeah. Well, I I no. I can I can understand what you're from. Yeah, go ahead, please. But say like I I'm with Linux where I um <clears throat> I'm a registered independent uh, for the specific reason, like he was saying, is that neither one of the choices for the two-party system has done anything for us. And I personally feel that even though the general rule of speech is that most black people have to be Democrats, I feel that we only see the Democratic Party in our neighborhoods every two to four years when it's election time. And then they come out, they take a little pictures, they say some very cool things that sound good, that looks good in the newspapers, and then they leave. Um Unlike, and I think I might be the only person in America who might think this. I don't know. It might be me and Killer Mike. Um, but I don't think that this election is any more as important than any other election uh, because I feel like no matter who gets elected, black people and people of color are not going to do any better no matter who wins this election until they start doing better for themselves, until we do like every other Every other race, until you see black people and Hispanics do like the Jews, do like the Asians, do like other white people, where we create black wealth, where we create uh, safer neighborhoods. I, I, it, it pains me and it anguishes me, anguishes me so much when I see, when I know that there are black people. Um, you see these, these kids who want to be gangsters or whatever, uh, they have all these guns in their houses, like, hey, Technically, you don't have a felony. You can own a firearm. Go get a legal permit and go defend your neighborhoods against these people who are looting. Go defend, you know, go police the police in your neighborhoods so that your neighbors aren't hurt. Um, Quit letting other people come into your neighborhoods. Uh, Quit letting Starbucks and Walmart and all these other companies come into your neighborhoods. You know, they'll hire you for minimum wage and they'll take and take and take and not donate and not give back to your community. I think that black people need to realize that, yes, it's important to vote, but it's more important to vote on a local level than it is for president. Whoever the president of the United States is is not going to affect me more than who my local, uh, my local councilman or my mayor is. That's, what, that's going to immediately affect me the day they come into office because those changes affect me on a personal local level. Um, I think that black people need to start going to city hall meetings. I think they need to start holding their councilmen and their mayors and their commissioners. Uh, They need to hold them responsible for what happens. I think that if you don't like the way the police is being run right now, the the county sheriff 
whatever your county sheriff is, he has to be up for election as well. If you don't like the way the sheriff's department is running, then you vote him out of office. If you don't like the way the police chief is being, the police chief is running the police department, then you pressure your mayor, your local councilman, and say, hey, if you don't get rid of this police chief, we're not going to reelect you. Um, I think that black people and people of color need to start looking at things on a local level. They need to start looking at not saying that we don't want white people in our neighborhood, but I think that they just say that, hey, if you come into the black neighborhood, if you come into the Hispanic or people of minority neighborhood, if you're not going to do anything for us, if you're not going to give back to our community, if you're not going to help our young men and young women do better and create generational wealth, for each other and for our community, then we don't want you in our community whatsoever. Yeah. That was well good put. point. Good point. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. 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 My, my mentor, my political mentor said all politics is local and uh, you definitely just uh, put the uh, dot on the eye with that. So, all right. Well, guys, we've, uh, we've hit our two hours. Uh, and so I definitely want to thank you guys, um, oh, Lennox Norris, Will and Selena Huckabee, Anthony Bennett. Uh, you guys have uh, taught me a lot tonight, and uh, hopefully you've taught a lot of other people tonight and inspired a few people. So once again, thank you guys very much. Um, you guys are definitely you're you're welcome to you know call in on any of our you know on a normal thursday night show we'd love to we'd love to have you on um you know we'll um probably you know i mean will you've been on we'll have you back on with uh with selena anthony we're definitely going to i'll get you scheduled in at some point and lennox as well um just you know so we can have you know just more general wrestling discussion in that because i you know, I mean, I love I love what we did tonight, but I also still obviously love my wrestling business. I mean, you know, <laughs> thirty plus years in it. If I if I don't if I don't love it by now, I'm in the I've I've been in the wrong line of work for the longest time. So, so, uh, gentlemen, Selena, thank you very much. I really appreciate uh, your help tonight because you helped me out as. I'm sure you hopefully have helped a lot of other people out. So thanks again very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. And Thank you for having me. Oh, oh, love it. Love you guys. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, being Mr. Radical, I'm going to, I'm going to fill this, fill this out with a uh, little old school Isley brothers. Thanks for listening. Um, We'll be back with you uh, next uh, on Thursday night with the uh, ACW reunion part two. Good night, everybody.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.